Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning. Roto experts. To the end zone. The mark of fantasy excellence. You have to be careful about who you think is stepping forward on the depth chart. It's caught for a touchdown. You are now tuned in to the Roto Experts. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. Hello and welcome to the Roto Experts. Here for January 24th, 2019. I am Scott Engel, the Managing Director of RotoExperts.com. I am the King. I am Fantasy, here with you every day now, on demand, talking fantasy football and a whole lot more. Not a lot going on in fantasy baseball yet, but uh, we're going to get to that as well. Uh, Less than three weeks now before pitchers and catchers report. So a lot more coming up. Uh, Make sure that uh, you stay with rotoexperts.com as we are now 365 uh, throughout the year covering fantasy football. All the latest is up there, including uh, the latest uh, draft-wide receiver rankings from Davis Maddock and uh, the new Keeper League column from myself, the Keeper Corner. We'll uh, we'll talk about that in a little while as well, but uh, lots to cover. Uh, we had two weeks of Super Bowl hype, but... As far as fantasy football and everything, uh, you know, we have to focus on the offseason, our keeper, our dynasty leagues, and a lot of seasonal players. They're already looking ahead to the 2019 season. So uh, lot, lots to cover. And uh, today, we'll start with an interesting report. According to NFL Draft uh, insider Tony P- Pauline, uh, some front office types, general managers, Scouts are, quote, starting to detest analytics, end quote, as a means of uh, player evaluation, decision-making, interpretation, etc. And uh, here's here's something uh, that we've heard in other sports before. Uh, Police report says uh, scouts scouts and coaches that he's spoken to since uh, last week's East and West uh, East-West Shrine All-Star Game remain, uh, believe that analytics have little to do with, with uh, strategy, X's and O's, as well as uh, the work ethic and personality of players or the ability of prospects uh, to fit as a certain posi- position it was, as this was worded uh, in a published report. And, uh, you know, this is not a surprise to me. Uh, those who have followed me for a long time know I uh, credentialed in Major League Baseball. And, you know, I've seen this reflected in Major League Baseball certainly as well. There still is a clash in, all, in, in baseball and football about those who believe in the eyeball test and those who crunch the numbers. Now... My personal evaluation on it is that both are worthy, but 
with analytics, saber metrics, it's 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 really taken over in baseball and evaluation. You know, we've we've seen a, a lot of sabermetric people in uh, Major League Baseball front offices, and we saw it in football with the Cleveland Browns recently, a few years ago when they went to get their GM, and he was an analytics based guy. And you know, these cultures are going to clash. Sometimes it's not all. Originally, it was viewed as like old school. Versus new school, and it's not necessarily old school versus new school necessarily, because there's a lot of people who are even younger, and the players themselves who just don't believe in the analytics. And I talk to a lot of baseball players, and when I throw this, some of the stats up, there's a very small handful that have any regard for it at all. You know, I'll talk to a baseball player and say, "Oh, did you realize that?" Uh, you know, that some of the analytics said you were chasing more pitches outside of the zone, etc. And, you know, a lot of guys would be like, you know what? You get everywhere from players who say, I don't pay any attention to that. I just go out and play my game. Of course, it's not as simple as that. They focus a lot of the fundamentals on watching video, etc., some players will say, yeah, I kind of look at some of that kind of stuff, but I don't let it uh, really play too heavily into what my approach is. Uh, talked to Jay Bruce last year about it, and he said it's not something that he pours over about it, but uh, when he was with, when Jay Bruce was with the Mets, uh, he said that, you know, he had some input with one of the front office guys that used analytics, and the guy told him some numbers, and he said, oh, I didn't realize that about the way I was swinging, and he took a different approach, and it helped him. So some of the players may go as far as to seek out what the analytics guys are telling them, but I really haven't found any players who say, I sit there and crunch the numbers. And I'm saying that because a lot of former players go on to be coaches, and this is true in baseball as well as football, and guys that play the game focus on it one way, and guys that have not played the game focus it on it another way. Now, you look at this through the through the lens of, of fantasy sports, and a lot of people who, you know, uh, you know, bring analytics into the equation, we're doing that a lot more in Roto Experts, and I think it's very helpful. You got guys like who I really respect, like uh, the football scientist, Casey Joyner of uh, of ESPN.com. He does a great job. But uh, look, it is what it is. I'm not insulting anybody. A lot of these analytical types are not the guy type of guys that play, play pro football. And the ones that played pro football, they look at it in a different way. So there's going to be a natural clash between those who play the game and those who did and look at through look at it through a different lens, sort of a different prism, etc. But yet both viewpoints are valid. I hate when players say all oh, these media types don't know because they never played the game. Well, a lot of us who are in the media maybe never had we're just blessed with those physical gifts to play the game, but we do have a gift for scouting the game or looking at the game in a certain way. And I think uh, smart, mature players and 
and front office people, you know, there are a lot of them that do do respect and say, you know, it's not the way that I go about things, but there's a lot of validity to it. And I think in a, in a lot of sports, even basketball, uh, you know, there's a lot of analytics and numbers crunching, and it works. You know, you look like uh, you look at a site like like Daily Roto. We don't have any former NFL players uh, or NBA players on the staff, but what these guys do is very very valid. And I think people who are open-minded are going to accept it. But you, when you get a certain group of guys, like former players, and they're used to doing ways things a certain way, uh, it, it, it's sometimes going to be hard for them to accept outside perspectives. In my view of how I cover football and I came to do this, I really tried to combine both. Uh, you know, I... I I, I watch the eyeball test. I try to look at things like a scout. And so, you know, when I'm looking at a running back, I say, you know, this guy's got good vision. He's got good balance. He can make people miss. And then uh, then I go to some of the analytics. And when I'm analyzing baseball, there's, there's really a ton of analytics to, to, to play into. Uh, like, for instance, you know, looking at Drew Pomerantz signing with the San Francisco Giants two years ago. Uh, he was 17 and 6. With a 3.32 ERA, but he also had an 80% strand rate. You know, a lot of times, like things like strand rate and bad bip will tell you a lot about uh, a player's performance. Uh, sometimes, though, there are other things in baseball that will spur a player's performance. Uh, in the past, I've talked about players going from one city to a next and getting a refreshing outlook on things like whenever Hanley Ramirez went from one city to another, he would play really well uh, when he arrived because uh, he was what one beat reporter described to me as a honeymoon type of guy. When he got to a new city, he wanted to make an immediate impact. There are lots of intangible things that play in as well. Uh, You know, sometimes an older player taking a younger player under his wing. Sometimes the fundamentals that a guy works in in the offseason. So I really think, you know, if you're going to be a good fantasy player, if you're going to be a good better or evaluator, or just to look at sports, even through a general prism, and evaluate players, which is what a lot of what we do here in fantasy, and also a lot of what you do in handicapping, uh, I think you have to take it all into account. You know, where should you personally, where do I personally stand on this topic? It's uh it's a thing of where you have to be open-minded and not dismiss either side. Some of the best interviews I do when you hear Roto Experts at the Park are when I talk to coaches because coaches will tell you a lot about the fundamentals of a guy's swing or a guy's mechanics, etc. But then you can crunch the numbers for other things. So both of it is valid. Uh, could you say that some of these – former player types, scout, front office types, feel threatened by this wave of analytics, uh, which is already well ingratiated to every major sport. Of course, because, uh, you know, it's not something that they do openly, although, uh, you know, I'm sure there's coaches out there that pay attention to the analytics because they want to be open-minded. And, you know, there, there, are, there are some managers and, and coaches who do put stock in it. But, you know, it's, I think it's natural. I think it's human to be threatened by this kind of thing. But I think anybody who's uh, who's really not threatened by it and secure is going to embrace analytics as maybe something to supplement 
or to partner with what they do in their evaluation. And a lot of these analytic guys, you know, they can't evaluate players maybe like these these coaches, professional coaches and former players can because they haven't played the game. They're not they're not privy to an NFL playbook or a lot of the things you see inside a major league clubhouse. They're not privy to the intangibles. A lot of times when I talk about certain things, uh, people are very analytic, will dismiss intangibles. It's, uh, you know, we were talking about on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network yesterday that we're talking about on the Fantasy Football Frenzy, uh, where it had to come up about whether closure has to have a certain mentality or not. And a lot of times the analytics numbers crunching guys will dismiss that, whereas when I talk to current and former players say, yes, there is an intangible part to being a closer in Major League Baseball. You just say you have to have a short memory. It's also like it's almost like being like an NFL type of quarterback or something like that, uh, where you have to have a very short memory. You know, talking to some major league pitchers, there's just when you go out on the mound in the ninth inning, it's very different. Uh, you know, you're trying to shut down the game, uh, whether you're at home or especially on the road. There's a lot more adrenaline flowing. Uh, you know, throughout throughout the the crowd, etc. You know that that makes a difference. Uh, the pitcher's adrenaline is flowing uh, more because he's in that type of position, and also the batter is you know is also a lot of under a lot of intense pressure. So that there's something mentally to shutting the door in Major League Baseball. So you got you got to be able to embrace both. Yeah, you have to be able to talk about the analytics, and you have to also have to talk about the intangibles. I don't fall on either side of the debate, as as you can hear. It's like I fall somewhere in the middle. I'm going to keep my ears open as an evaluator, uh, especially when it comes for fantasy purposes, as to what the numbers say, as what also what coaches, players, managers say. It's, uh, you know, being around the game of Major League Baseball the last decade, you just see certain things. And you hear certain things being around a press box, a major league clubhouse, that you don't when you're watching the games on television, reading about them online. Uh, you know, sometimes the best reporters will communicate that kind of stuff, but uh, a lot, a lot of times things are just, you know, they're mental. They're they're inside a player's head as as well. You know, we've seen players have bad seasons just because something's going on personally, et cetera. So. You know, you have your numbers, but you also have your intangibles. You have your fundamentals. When I talk about baseball, it's a very, very uh, tough game, and everything you can do to evaluate it, uh, you know, you got to do. And uh, when it comes to football, though, you know, football is a much different strategic game. It's about matchups and X's and O's. Baseball is about batter pitcher matchups. Football is much more about the X's and O's. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of a lot of validity what pro football focus puts out there, and I think a lot of smart evaluators will embrace that stuff rather than dismiss it. Uh, moving on to some uh, to some recent NFL news that we have for you here. Just not a lot going on yet uh, when it comes to NFL news. Uh, but the Larry, but Larry Fitzgerald was re-signed by the Arizona Cardinals to a one-year contract. Uh, he wants to finish his career. With the team that he started it with, the with the team that drafted him, uh, and I think that's you know that's very very admirable. 
And uh, the Cardinals really didn't know if uh, he was going to come back. You know, he said he had to take some time to get away from the game, basically clear his head, etc. And uh, now he has decided to come back. He's going to come back on a one-year deal. They have a new coach in uh, Cliff Kingsbury who said he would absolutely love to coach Larry Fitzgerald uh, as he tries to put an imprint on this offense. I have a lot of respect for Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, playing for one team and for his entire career is uh, something you don't always see in sports today. And uh, Larry Fitzgerald got to play in the Super Bowl once with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, the one thing he has left to do, because he's a definite Hall of Famer, is to win the Super Bowl. And if he's going to play one more year with the Arizona Cardinals, I think he is, it's very tough for him to do that. There was a rumor that there were rumors and hope that he was going to play for Minnesota as their third receiver, and that made a lot of sense because you know to pair him as a th- to have him as a third guy along with with Thielen and Stephon Diggs. Have him pair with Kirk Cousins, you know, do coaching in place, et cetera. You know, Minnesota could really get back to a spot where they're a Super Bowl contender. And he would have, you know, Larry Fitzgerald is from Minnesota. His father is a longtime sports writer in the Minnesota area. So it would have made a lot of sentimental sense. It was kind of like a Marshawn Lynch kind of thing where uh, you're wondering if he was going to play for his hometown team. Uh, this upcoming season, but it turns out that uh, he'll be going back to Arizona. And, uh, you know, this really helps uh, Cliff Kingsbury. It really helps Josh Rosen. And it helps some of the younger receivers like Christian Kirk uh, out there. You know, at 36 years old, played since 2004. Larry Fitzgerald is very much like a player coach at this point. Uh, So he's a great guy to have in the clubhouse. He's a great guy to have on the sideline, and he, he can still help out a little bit on the field, but uh, he's no longer going to be a fantasy starter. Uh, 69 catches for 734 yards and uh, six touchdowns this past season. Only once did he go over 90 yards, and only once did he go over 100 yards. So, you know, you're going to say Larry Fitzgerald is done? Well, yeah, maybe that's a product of the offense because – the year before, he became the oldest player to have 100 receptions. So maybe the uh, Cardinals feel that Larry Fitzgerald is not done and that, you know, Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury and his staff could come in and maybe get a jolt to the offense. But I, I really feel like like the Arizona Cardinals could use one more difference-making wide receiver. And, uh, you know, it's been said that, uh, that Cliff Kingsbury likes those run-after-the-catch types. Uh, Golden Tate is out there as a free agent to bring Golden Tate to Arizona, I think would be a very, uh, very nice play. Uh, you have Larry Fitzgerald, Golden Tate, Christian Kirk, Chad Williams as the top four wide receivers that could, and then you have David Johnson coming out of the backfield that, that really is, uh, builds a nice supporting cast. So look, Kingsbury and Cope company and the front office might've decided that with Larry Fitzgerald, that uh, that that's all they need really need to bring in, but you know maybe they will address the position in free agency, so that will be something to watch. You, you want to see if they're going to address that position in free agency. I think one more piece, what you really want to do, and I'm sure Cliff Kingsbury is thinking this because he's a professional coach, is that you know I need to surra- make my young quarterback 
to be successful, I have to surround him with the best talent that I possibly can. So that means improving the offensive line. And you already got David Johnson. You got Larry Fitzgerald. You got Christian Kirk, who's a nice piece. But I think one more difference maker in that offense, a guy in the type of vision that uh, the kind of player that Cliff Kingsbury likes, uh, when you when you talk about when you talk about somebody like uh, like Golden Tate, I see that being a really nice fit. Larry Fitzgerald, uh, I think you'd probably draft him as a wide receiver four in uh, in fantasy football uh, next year, hoping for a little bit of upside in that offense. Uh, not a guy that you want to play regularly. Hopefully, uh, his numbers can boost a little bit. But uh, I'll watch to see what this team is going to do in the offseason. You're listening to the Roto Experts uh, podcast. We're here daily on demand on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Uh, Love for you guys to be interactive with the show. Follow me on at Scott E. Roto X on Twitter. And uh, I'll gladly answer all your questions on the show. Just say, Scott, you know, I had a question for you to answer live on the podcast. Uh, Here it is. Or here's my comment, etc. Uh, follow me at Scott E. Roto X on Twitter. Be glad to answer all your questions. Uh, the countdown continues with uh, with RotoExperts.com and the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Uh, yesterday, uh, we posted the latest in our countdown of the top 100 fantasy players of the 2019 season, 2018 season. And uh, you can see them right now at RotoExperts.com. And uh, they will be revealed every day on the Fantasy Football Frenzy uh, from 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern, live on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. And uh, and also, uh, of course, you know, YouTube and uh, wherever you can stream it. Uh, they'll reveal the players every day. Corey Parson, Jim Day, and uh, Chris Venture will comment. Then you can go to rotoexperts.com and uh, see the latest listing of the players with breakdowns, capsules, analysis, etc. Basically what we did, uh, if you're hearing about this for the first time, is uh, we came up with a mathematical formula uh, by our lead lead full-time statistician and uh, chief technical officer, Arturo Galetti. Uh, He came up with a formula, which then helped him tweak. And then uh, the staff went over, uh, you know, the top 100 for some subjective tweaks Basically, the players were evaluated on where they were ranked every week and how they performed overall against expectations uh, for every given week and how they performed against the average player at their position. So uh, looking at at some of those, uh, talking about Golden Tate, actually, he was actually uh, yesterday, yesterday, and you can see it now at rotoexperts.com, players 80 through 71 Posted a Golden Tate uh, landed uh, at number seventy-eight on the countdown, and we were just talking about about Golden Tate. And uh, when dis- when discussing Golden Tate, he's a restricted, unrestricted free agent. Uh, don't know if he's going to be back in Philly, but I think there's a lot of teams out there that can use him. Yesterday we talked about possible landing spots for Jared Cook, but hey. You know, what about Golden Tate? And uh, I came up with a list of several teams here. And uh, you can tell me what you think. And uh, if I missed anybody on Twitter, at Scotty Roto X. But 
I think, uh, you know, I base this, I put it in order of what team's available salary cap would be there too. Uh, and there's a lot of young quarterbacks. I think Golden Tate would go really well on a team with a young quarterback because, you know, Tate is a guy who could be a terrific possession receiver and gain yardage after the catch. He's a terrific, safe sort of guy uh, for any NFL team looking for a possession receiver and a guy who could make things happen after the catch. Now, I did hear some rumors over the years when he was with the Seahawks. He got into some things in the locker room, uh, you know, didn't always get along with his coaches, I've heard, all, over the years when he left Seattle. So it, it's, there's an intangible part there, too, with Golden Tate. He has to be the right fit in the locker room for wherever he goes. But uh, Buffalo, you know, a lot of salary cap room. Uh, they could use a proven veteran wide receiver, uh, especially one for Josh Allen. Josh Allen's not afraid to throw deep, but he certainly is a guy that uh, could use a more reliable and dependable possession wide receivers. Buffalo has a lot of cap room, and uh, yeah, Golden Tate could make some money going there. I already mentioned Arizona uh, for the reasons which I already laid out. And then, then there's Green Bay. Uh, you know, the Packers, you know, maybe they'll move on from Randall Cobb. They have that big-type touchdown guy, Devontae Adams. You know, they got some of these younger receivers. Golden Tate, I think, would be a nice fit in Green Bay as well. Uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers would love to have a guy like that. Uh, you know, he could make things happen after the catch because that's what, that's what Randall Cobb used to do. So, you know, the Packers, I think, need some more wide receivers. They do do have some room there. If uh, if Golden Tate says, hey, I don't want to play with a young guy, hey, go play with Aaron Rodgers. Here's an interesting angle, uh, maybe going back to Seattle, uh, where they know him, uh, where Pete Carroll knows him, and Pete Carroll feels he can handle any kind of personality. Would Golden Tate? Returned to the team that drafted him. You know, he left on his own volition there, but things have changed uh, dynamically there, uh, you know, personnel-wise. Would he want to go back to the Seahawks? Is is that something the Seahawks consider? Uh, they could use another wide receiver, but I, I think it's kind of a long shot. It would be a really nice fit because I think the Seahawks do need another playmaker in the passing game, but Doug Baldwin's turn uh, returns healthy, I think, Maybe they could use a bigger target. Somebody could help them in the red zone. I think that's more the direction they, they want to look. Uh, you saw them toy with Brandon Marshall last year as well. So I think they're still looking for that kind of guy who could be a big target. Like I said yesterday, Jared Cook would be the perfect fit. The spot I like the most for, uh, really, for... Golden Tate is the Baltimore Ravens that I've been on record as already. I was already saying this is I think Tate would be a perfect fit to go with a young guy like Lamar Jackson, who really didn't have any dependable wide receivers last year. I already gave all the reasons why I like Golden Tate with a young quarterback. And, you know, Golden Tate, you know, became used to running the scramble drill with Russell Wilson early in his career. You know, he's played with a mobile quarterback. And when you have a mobile quarterback who's going to break the pocket and needs guys to run the scramble drill, 
You want somebody experienced doing that. And also a possession guy who can make things happen after the catch. I think Golden Tate would be a terrific uh, addition in Baltimore. I think uh, get a ton of targets. His uh, PPR outlook would rise again. Uh, Golden Tate would be absolutely perfect in Baltimore, I think. You know, Lamar Jackson is going to do a lot of work outside of the pocket, and I think Golden Tate's been there, done that, and would be an ideal fit to uh, to help out a young Lamar Jackson. Then you can also look at Chicago, but they already have a lot of guys in place, not a lot of room under the cap. Then uh, the only other spot uh, that I really think, uh, you know, because the New Orleans Saints really use a guy like this as well, uh, you have your big target in Mike, Michael Thomas. Golden Tate uh, would love to play for a team that's got a chance to win the Super Bowl. They'd have to clear some cap room to do it. You could have Thomas as your big receiver. Tate is your possession guy. You could make things happen after the catch. And then you have Trey Quan Smith as a downfield guy. That really improves uh, you know, the pass catching core just from an overall talent circumference perspective for Drew Brees. And, uh, you know, Drew Brees, not quite the downfield gunner that he used to be. You know, to have a, have a guy who could really help him with his high percentage, short-range passing game. I think I think the New Orleans Saints, if they were to get Golden Tate, that would be a heck of an addition. But uh, I, think, I think maybe the three most realistic landing spots for him are Buffalo, Arizona, and Baltimore. You can make cases for Green Bay and New Orleans as well. The Miami Dolphins do have to clear a lot of cap room, but they certainly need some receiving help. Uh, you know, if, if they want to take them on down there with the new coaching regime, which they have to, st- they still have to set up. The Dolphins are taking it some time. I, I don't, I don't think we can, we can forget the Miami Dolphins either. You know, when we talk about something like this, uh, seventy-four on the list was OJ Howard, and OJ Howard. When you look at the tight ends for next year, you look at the big three, you, you really know who they are at this point. It's Kelsey, it's uh, it's Ertz, and it's Kittle. Now, after that, you could say Eric Ebron, you want to throw him in there, sort of Jared Cook. But if there's a guy that can get close to the big three or maybe even a big four next year, uh, I, think it, I think it could be O.J. Howard. I really do. Uh you know, the talent was there. Everybody talked about it coming out of college. But you you really saw it on display last year. And uh, although he only played uh, through week 11 because of a season-ending ankle injury, he certainly showed us a lot. Double-figure perform- PPR performances in seven of ten games and five TDs in his first eight games. Uh, Hopefully, you know, this new coaching regime is going to bring more offensive balance there. They'll get a better running back. But O.J. Howard, I think, could have a really big year as their best, uh, one of their best TD targets. Now, of course, Mike Evans is a guy that's going to catch a lot of TDs and everything's humming. But if this team's going to continue to throw the ball a lot effectively, O.J. Howard is going to be a big part of that. Regular red zone threat, uh, big targets that can catch on third downs. With all the other weapons there in Tampa Bay, it might be presumptuous to say that O.J. Howard can join the big three because when you look at Kittle, who else does he have around him? Ertz is the, clearly, the, clearly 
the very top target in that passing game. And in Kansas City, it's really just Kelsey and Hill. And yeah, Watkins to a lesser degree. Where is O.J. Howard going to fall in the pecking order? You know, that that remains to be seen. Mike Evans, of course, is the top guy. But who's going to be number two in that offense? Is it going to be Chris Godwin? Is it going to be O.J. Howard? Uh, but I think O.J. Howard's going to be prominent enough where I can confidently rank him as the number four uh, tight end going into next year. You say, Scott, look, well, what about Eric Ebron? Look at, look, look at Eric Ebron this past year and all the touchdowns that he scored. You know, 13, you know, is the most in the NFL for a tight end. But, you know, he's going to have Jack Doyle back there next year, and that's going to cut into his numbers. Uh, Jared Cook, very good, but we have to see where he lands, and he has a long, long history of inconsistency. So O.J. Howard's going to be uh, my number four tight end uh, going into next year. Uh, you know, especially as I churn out my ranks very soon here on RotoExperts.com. We're going to have very early ranks uh, coming from myself and Davis Maddock, etc. And then, uh, you know, another guy I find very interesting is uh, number 71 of our top 100, Chris Herndon. Uh, now, look, a lot of people say preseason is useless. For me, it's not. I actually got to watch the go to a Jets preseason game. And I was watching Sam Darnold, and I said, the guy likes to throw to a lot, his tight ends very often. He has other targets out there, but he seems to really trust his tight ends. And he, he's really in the preseason. I, I saw him to, in a live game really uh, you know, look for guys like Chris Herndon. And when Herndon got the opportunity starting around week six, I said, you know what? I remember in the preseason, these guys showed a connection with each other. Uh, I would not be surprised if Chris Herndon became very useful. So, and then from week six through 16, uh, in seven of 10 games, he had eight plus fantasy points in seven of those 10 games. Now you say, okay, eight's not a lot, but when you look at the state of tight end, and I think about four of those were double figure performances, uh, about half of them were double figure performances. That was kind of impressive. I mean, eight points from a tight end in this this day and age when you don't have a, an elite guy, I, I think that was sort of respectable for a rookie there. Uh, you know, you, you saw some other tight ends ranked higher on a weekly basis who didn't even hit eight points. There were weeks where Austin Hooper, Kyle Rudolph, et cetera, didn't even hit eight points. You know, Herndon completely exceeded expectations in week six to eight. He uh, he scored a touchdown in every week, and then he had a great performance in Week 16 against the Packers in a fantasy Super Bowl. Now, look, Herndon was inconsistent. Some people think I overrated him, but he was my guy. But I thought he showed a lot of potential, and I actually had him on two Super Bowl-winning rosters because tight end came to the point where if I did have one of the big three, I didn't want to get killed at the position every week. And I wanted a guy who had an upside some once in a while – and Chris Herndon really fit that description. He didn't kill me really in most weeks, uh, especially when he was giving me like eight points or so. And there were a few weeks where he got me into double figures and he helped me to victory. So look, you can't have the ideal player in every position in fantasy football when you're talking about how many guys you start every given week. But Herndon did a nice job. And I think uh, I think he's, he's only looking up as it goes into year two, uh, I, I think I think Sam Darnold already has rapport, rapport with him. And as Sam Darnold continues to improve, Herndon's a guy that you have to have on your radar next year, I think. Uh, 
if you if you don't get one of the top tight ends. If you play in a dynasty league and you have Chris Herndon, uh, like I do, in uh, one of my dynasty formats, you know, there's a guy with some promise, I believe. And a lot of times over the years, we saw young tight ends come in in that first year and do nothing. For the fact for Chris Herndon to come in the ground running in his very first year, when a lot of tight ends don't develop until year two or year three, I think that's very, very impressive to me. So uh, when it comes to fantasy, I am a Chris Herndon fan. And uh, for more keeper analysis, check out my brand new keeper uh, quarter on uh, rotoexperts.com. It's now posted where I answer your keeper questions on social media and also uh, and also spotlight certain players that might lead to challenging keeper decisions. Check that out on rotoexperts.com right now. Uh, one baseball note uh, as we get close to wrapping up here. Uh, Drew Pomeranz signed uh, with the San Francisco Giants. It's a uh, nice flyer for the team that's trying to get another veteran arm in there just two years ago. Pomeranz with 17-6 and six with a 3.32 ERA a year after being an all-star for uh, the Padres. But uh, when you looked at his ex-FIP, it was 4.15 and then he had an 80, 80% strand rate. You knew some regression was coming last year. But not to the point where where it really hit. Uh, Pomerantz had an awful season last year. Uh, he had a 3.44 BABIP, which was uh, completely unlucky, obviously. And uh, yeah, now the uh, now the the Giants are taking a flyer on a guy that uh, they just need to stay healthy. And I think he's got a sh- good shot to bounce back. Uh, ideally, they would like to use him as a veteran starter. If not, he could be a reliever for them. But, you know, this is a guy that when you try to build your depth in fantasy baseball in the later rounds, you know, maybe you'll have to take a shot on him as a rebound player, especially going back to the National League. He knows the National League West uh, very well, and he's playing in a great pitcher's ballpark. Of course, going back to the West, he's going to have to pitch in Colorado a few times. So that's about balance out in a certain uh, positive to negative way. But uh, we'll be talking a lot more baseball here uh, on the Roto Experts podcast. So thanks for listening to uh, today's show for uh, January 24th, 2019. Again, follow me at ScottyRotoX. Ask any questions you like on Twitter. And uh, we'll see you Friday on the Roto Experts podcast.